0: Hello and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today we're looking at the second to last chapter of the budo shoshinshu, a work intended to instruct young samurai boys in how to behave like a proper member of the warrior class. In today's chapter, number 55, daidoji will be giving us some thoughts on what to do when your strategy fails and you lose the battle. Now, I say it every episode, but it bears repeating. This podcast is rather like my training notes. These are things I'm thinking about myself as I try to grow a little as a person. As such, the readings and interpretations are heavily biased by my own philosophy and worldview. I highly recommend you read these works for yourself. Daidoji starts off this section by saying that a warrior devotes himself to studying the martial skills. So it's natural that one of the greatest honors he can receive is to be put in charge of preparing the strategy and tactics to be used in battle. He goes so far as to say there is no duty more important. Since the lives of one's fellow warriors, and indeed the survival of one's clan, is being entrusted to your strategy, It is quite an amazing accomplishment to direct and lead a strategy that leads to victory. In contrast, then, it is also the worst kind of defeat to have the enemy understand your strategy, counter it, and defeat the warriors who have been entrusted to you. Because of this, Daidoji asserts that we should not give advice to others lightly. To emphasize this, he asks the reader to imagine the defeat. Whole groups cut in half, commanders and numerous warriors slain, the enemy advancing on the general's position, the flags in front beginning to falter, and even the general's safety being a matter of concern. All the horrors of a real battlefield overwhelming our mind and senses. In pre-modern battles, all over history, the fall of an army's leader often led to a faltering in courage, general disarray, and very possibly a chaotic retreat where many more of the fleeing were slain. To facilitate, fleeing warriors would often shed themselves of weight, hence the adage about coming home with your shield or on it, not throwing your equipment down as you ran away. The ability to keep large groups of warriors fighting in a coherent fashion was critical to success, so the enemy advancing on the position of the one who was supposed to be leading an army to victory could cause many to lose their courage in the face of horrible fear When this happens, that is, when you realize your strategy has not brought victory to your side, when you see your comrades dying all around you, possibly even witnessing the death of your clan, Daidoji exhorts the reader to tie your helmet on in a way that shows you will never untie it, show that you will never dismount from your horse again, decide that your enemy will never see your back, even as your troops, your own troops are retreating, and then to charge the enemy ranks intent on dying. William Scott Wilson's translation is a little poetic here, as it says, gracing the spears of the enemy with his body. A more literal translation would be, accomplish a battlefield death of giving yourself over to the skilled spears of your enemy. But I like Wilson's translation here better, so I'll go with gracing the spears of the enemy with his body. I did some research here and I was unable to find a specific knot that might have been implied by Daidoji. That does not mean it did not exist, just that if it did, I'm not sure what it was, and Daidoji expected his audience to know what this meant on their own. In our day and age, the sense of what is being said might be summarized by the phrase, the captain goes down with the ship. This was a maritime tradition that a sea captain holds ultimate responsibility for both their ship And everyone on it. And if there's an emergency, we'll either save those on board or die trying. It is thought to have originated in the Western idea of chivalry, in this case, a particular Victorian ideal of chivalry, in which the upper classes were expected to adhere to a morality tied to honor, service, and respect for the disadvantaged. That, in turn, stemmed from the ancient rule that women and children were to be protected by the tribe, hence, you may have heard the adage women and children first. From a tribal survival standpoint, the longevity of the group was most rooted in the multi-generational survival of a people group as a whole. There is no longevity into the future if a lone hunter-warrior survives. So it's not surprising that many ethos all over the world and across history have encouraged the warriors to be willing to die for the perseverance of the tribe. Anything less is inoperable for the survival of the group. And when you think about it, that's very much what Daidoji has been exhorting his audience to do. When one is in a leadership role, and those choices have led the people who followed you to their destruction, according to Daidoji, it's time for you to go down with your ship, unbeknownst to him, like the sea captains on the other side of the world, from the future. The emphasis, from either a western or eastern perspective, is that leadership must take responsibility for their choices, and not use their privileged position to escape the conclusion of where their choices have brought you. There are numerous classical Western works where this topic comes up, one being Virgil's Aeneid about the survivors of the sack of Troy going on to found Rome. Daidoji provides us with an example of a general who lived up to this ideal, though I find his choice curious. He reminds his reader of Yamamoto Kansuke, who was a warrior from the Sengoku period, he was known as one of the 24 generals of Takeda Shingen. Now, if you're not already aware, Takeda Shingen was kind of a big deal. He was the only daimyo who could stand up to Oda Nobunaga, and actually defeated Tokugawa Ieyasu at one point. Due to outside influences, though, he had to halt his advance into Tokugawa territory, which gave the Tokugawa time to catch their breath and prepare for battle again, If that had not happened, the following centuries of Japanese history might have been very different. While researching Kansuke, I learned a few interesting things. First, Kansuke was the ancestor of Yamamoto Yaeko of Aizu, a famed bakumatsu period woman, warrior. As there are a lot of ahistorical, romanticized stories about warrior women out there, I'm always interested when I find actual, real warrior women. In this case, we have numerous photos and good details about her life and history. She was apparently skilled with a rifle. The second thing I found about Yamamoto Kansuke is that there is a work called the Heiho O Gisho, which is a treatise on strategy and tactics attributed to Kansuke. I'm going to have to see if I can find a copy of it. Apparently, it focuses on the strategic behavior of individual warriors. So, anyway... Yamamoto Kansuke was one of Takeda Shingen's generals. He was a brilliant strategist and is particularly known for his plan, which led to success in the Fourth Battle of Kawanakajima against Uesugi Kenshin. However, Kansuke never lived to see his plan succeed, because at one point, he thought his plan to have failed. So, he did exactly what Daidoji is telling us to do. Kansuke charged headlong into the enemy ranks and died in battle a perfect example of the resolve, commitment, and seriousness that we should consider when making decisions or giving advice. For my modern, non-Japanese ears, though, it's kind of hard to think too highly of someone who, thinking he'd failed, throws himself to his death only to have his plan work out afterwards. While looking into this individual, I found numerous works of art depicting his death, so it's clear that in the culture both of his own time period and in the centuries that followed, his sacrifice was inspirational. Rather like the Akko incident, Akko Jiken, perhaps better known in English as the story of the 47 Ronin. Perhaps the lesson here, though, not intended by Daidoji, it's not give up too quickly. Even when things seem their worst, like you failed and now it's time to grace the enemy's spears with your body that it isn't necessarily time to give up. How could Yamamoto Kansuke have served his lord even more in the coming battles if he had not thrown his life away? I get why Daidoji lifts him up as an example, though. For the purposes of communicating that a captain goes down with his ship, Yamamoto Kansuke is certainly a good example of this. Daidoji contrasts this good example with a hypothetical opposite. He tells us to consider a person who perhaps has a good reputation as a martial instructor and who, during conflict, gives his opinion and strategy to the general, but speaking in a way that considers himself to be rather special or unique. This person ignores the advice of others and makes up his own tactics, not based on military wisdom, but based on his own imagination. A battle that should have been won is then lost, and warriors, both big and small, are slaughtered. This bad adviser then rides around, confused, comes before the general, making excuses, and apologizing for his mistakes when, as Daidoji puts it, he should just die. He concludes by saying that this is not the way a warrior who is a martial instructor should be. I think of a captain of a ship who perhaps sailed his ship into disaster, escapes in a lifeboat, leaving other crew and passengers to die. And then coming back to civilization, starts making excuses. Blaming the ship construction, or the map makers, or the weather forecasters, or anyone else he can shift the blame to. Sound familiar? At least here in the U.S., it sounds like typical American corporate and academic culture. Make sure to keep the blame rolling downhill, and stab anyone in the back who gets in your way. The antithesis of what Daidoji is teaching his young readers to embody. When the executives run a company into the ground, the C-level executives get a golden parachute, while the rank-and-file worker is laid off like so much useless machinery. When the government runs the economy into the ground, they vote themselves higher salaries to compensate for the higher cost of living, instead of tightening their belts and fixing the underlying problems that led to the failure in the first place. In a simplistic sense, and on one level, Daidoji is telling us to take responsibility for our actions. In the context of his time, and I would say in our own as well, leadership of any organization, be it corporate, government, academic, religious, or even in the martial arts, has to take responsibility for their actions, especially when their choices have led a group into trouble. Now, I don't think you actually need to grace the spears of the enemy with your body, and I certainly don't think you need to seek out death when you've made a mistake, But we do need to own up to our mistakes, learn from them, and do better moving forward. If you shift the blame elsewhere, accuse others for your poor choices, then if you do get away with it, you'll simply be free to make all the same mistakes all over again, having learned nothing. You will destroy more of whatever it is you're working towards, and never own up to the fact that you need to make different choices, which could make you and your group finally able to succeed. I see people who lament how bad their life is, often they use the word unlucky, when really it's just a long line of their own bad choices that have made their life what it is. It's always someone else's fault, it's society's fault, or racism, or sexism, or pick whatever social topic of the day you want to shift blame to. In the past century, various people groups have been blamed for society's ills. The Jews, the gypsies, or pick whatever tribe is the quote-unquote outsider, It's always easier to blame someone else for your problems than it is to own up to your own mistakes and do better moving forward. That involves needing to admit you were wrong and changing yourself, something that seems to have been very difficult for humans throughout all of recorded history. The second part of what I think Daidoji is communicating to his readers is that we need to take the business of giving advice more seriously. When someone asks for your thoughts on a matter, actually give it some thought. Don't respond quickly or with emotion. Back in chapter 37 of the Budo Shoshinshu, which first aired a little over a year ago, with the title, Learn to Say No, Daidoji outlines some suggestions on how to give advice or involve yourself in other people's affairs. I'll give a rough recap of these points, but I'd recommend going back to episode 60, Learn to Say No, and reviewing the episode in depth if this is a topic you care about. Daidoji said in chapter 37 that we need to think carefully about whether something can be accomplished before we involve ourselves in it. If we do think it can be accomplished, then we need to think long and hard about how that can be done before agreeing to anything. If we are considered a reliable person, our opinions will be valued, so people will come and seek us out for advice. When giving advice, we need to be very careful about what we say if we want to maintain that reputation of being reliable. We should not compromise the truth of our advice or opinion just because the other person's feelings or mood may not like what we say. I personally advocate that we should maintain a compassionate and thoughtful method of delivering our advice while simultaneously not compromising the truth. But I also acknowledge that sometimes people need a slap in the face to get them out of whatever cage they're locked themselves in you'll have to judge each circumstance on its own individual merits. Finally, none of this suggests that we should be going around giving unsolicited advice. In today's chapter, 55 to be exact, Diogenes is talking to us about what happens when we give advice, and it turns out badly for whoever we gave that advice to. The corollary being we should take giving advice seriously. This ties in well with the last point of not giving unsolicited advice. I know we may see people driving themselves into trouble or danger, and while there's a time and a place to try and warn people away from imminent danger, a lot of the time, the lesson of the pain of failure can be a better teacher than unsolicited, unappreciated advice. Your relationship with the individual will likely have a big impact on whether unsolicited advice is taken or not. More than that, though, if we are giving advice, we need to be willing to take responsibility for the consequences of someone else actually following our advice. If your good friend takes your advice and it ends up in horrible failure for them, well, you might need to consider doing something substantial to make up for the fact that your advice caused your friend so many problems. It doesn't have to be literal death in our day and age, but for this episode's so-called Tengu Challenge, I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about what it really means to tie your helmet on in a way that you'll never be taking it off again, and to ride your horse in a way that shows you'll never be dismounting. There's another Western adage I've been thinking about while working on this episode that encourages us to commit to our actions, though with a bit of a less fatalistic view, which is to burn the ships behind you. There are various places where we can find accounts of the burning of the ships, Each typically is communicating the idea of removing the possibility of retreat and is meant to signify and inspire full commitment to a cause. I suspect that's a similar level of seriousness towards giving advice or strategy that Daidoji could have appreciated. If you decide to give someone life advice and they take your advice, be willing to commit to walking that path with them. Spend some time thinking on this and remember not to just talk about your philosophy, but like your martial art, live it. That's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.